Moncrief on News Talk. Uh, now, despite being at, uh, at, at war uh, for nearly two years now, Russia and Ukraine have managed prisoner swaps, the same as happened between Israel and Gaza. But how are such things arranged? Defence and security expert Declan Power uh, joins us now in the studio. Afternoon, Declan. Afternoon, Sean. Uh, so <coughs> is there usually one body that, that people go to to try and negotiate such things or does it depend on who's nearby and viewed as neutral? Generally speaking, the International Committee of the Red Cross, or the body that you speak of, uh, they've uh, extensive experience in conflicts, both uh, state to state, interstate, as in you know, civil war, and you know, internecine conflicts, maybe between groups, ethnic groups, or terrorist groups, and things of that nature. They have recognition by all parties. They have gone out of their way over decades, um, over a hundred years, nearly. I, I think, if memory serves me correctly, but to develop a record of impartiality and neutrality in conflict. So when people think of the Red Cross, they generally think of food parcels or medical aid. But the ICRC are a different beast. They're they're literally, uh, I would describe them as international field diplomats with no dog in the fight. And that has allowed them to carry out, in this case, the delicate role of negotiating the exchange of prisoners between warring states such as Russia and Ukraine. And sometimes between, uh, it could also be between groups, uh, I'm not sure have they been involved currently, but between Israel and uh, a group like Hamas or, hmm. a group, or a group like the, uh, the PLO, for example, uh, back in the day. And it, you need an inter, you need a, an arbiter, um, an impartial arbiter, because such is the level of distrust in a conflict situation. And part of what they will do is to agree terms of uh, engagement, you know, the location. It's going to be usually on some sort of uh, either neutral or no man's land type ground. Uh, there have to be checks of the prisoners, their documents, that they are who they say they are uh, or who they are listed as. Mm. Uh, sometimes there can be mistakes made, uh, you know, typos, things like that. But w- in an ongoing conflict, there would always be fears of somebody being secreted back into a, a state or a society who isn't who they are, especially at a low level. It could be a very good way to uh, in, get saboteurs or uh, people engaged in espionage, maybe at a lower level. If the person is higher up the rank structure uh, and has a more perceived role, you know, if the, a prisoner like that, much harder to, uh, to clone or to duplicate. But these would be things that the ICRC would check for and they would stand over. And so their bona fides matter in the success of such a thing as this. And is it always in the interest of the combatants to have a prisoner swap? That, well, that depends too on what their needs are. I mean, people who have an interest in the history of World War II would know there was very little uh, prisoner swapping. And that was largely down to the logistics you know, of, of taking people uh, from A to B where there was a world war going on and there was war raging in the skies and seas and uh, to try and coordinate and maybe stop the conflict as you know, a Red Cross ship or aircraft to move through those areas would have been well nigh impossible then. However, there would be another aspect. I mean, uh, countries would be reluctant to release people that they would see as being uh, essential to the war effort. So like in World War II, downed pilots would be very unusual for them to be released. Mm. Um, but there were releases, there were repatriations for humanitarian reasons. People that were significantly injured, wounded, who would be considered, according to the Geneva Convention, to use the French phrase, hors de combat, out of the fight. And uh, also for the general humanitarian reasons, uh, 
for the home front. The morale boosting. So the Ukrainian state or the Russian, well, the Ukrainian state, I would argue more than the Russian state, there would be a very big morale boost to them negotiating a prisoner exchange. You can see it, 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 it shall we say, dare I say, it, the, the underdog in the fight. Yeah. It's more important. I mean, you can see Hamas, uh, our whole, it, it's a big negotiating position for them with the Israelis that they get out a lot of prisoners who, some of whom would have been only incarcerated since October 7th at the terrorist atrocities that they carried out. Uh, and it's it's a stick. It's a tricky one to negotiate because the Israelis would not want to be seen to release people so soon after that atrocity. Um, however, it, it's a, the effect on the home front is huge, and it emboldens the the um, governing regime or the leading regime, whether it's Zelensky in Ukraine or whether it's Hamas. And uh, it's an unfortunate linking of the two. Obviously, the two mm, regimes yeah. are completely different in legitimacy, but. It gives a big shot in the arm to the civilian population, the return of um, men and women who have been caught in the fighting. But there's a risk factor to it as well. And uh, the Russians have, certainly have learned that in that uh, their uh, abuse of prisoners uh, comes out to the world very quickly. Uh, and they have been abusing prisoners. They mm. have acted completely outside of the Geneva Convention. They have uh, they have. Uh, physically damaged prisoners uh, and they have uh, treated them outside of the Geneva Convention at, at the very least. So that comes out in the wash as well. However, why, why would the Russians then risk that, you might ask? Yeah. Very simple reason. The, the Russians you know, are at that point, they don't care about that and that's outweighed by the logistics. A lot of the prisoners that have been taken are still very much still be just behind the lines. They haven't been taken away into a mainstream or into um, the Russian a state, as it were, to be filtered into a prison camp system. So it's a way of getting rid of extra mouths to feed, getting rid of uh, a burden on the war fighting troops who have to guard them uh, in the areas behind the lines. So they simply do a, a math and let's hand them back. Uh, we don't need them. We don't need the hassle of them. There is no, nothing to be gained. And so a prisoner exchange is no indication of anything else in terms of the conflict. It's not a, a, an indication of a softening of positions or... It can be. It can be. It's an interesting question, Sean. It depends on the context. If it's a conflict that hasn't had much evidence of that, then it's seen as a gesture of goodwill that can that can be indicative of negotiations taking place or maybe negotiations that are taking place behind closed doors being uh, admitted to. And it can be seen as a, a phased escalation of reduction of the conflict. But in the in the case of Ukraine, Russia, it has been an ongoing feature without any reduction of the conflict. So you have to look at the overall context and not take it out of context to interpret from that. Declan, thanks a million for coming in to us today. That was uh, the defence and security expert Declan Power there. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. Moncrief, weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.